Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, this is Steve. This Sunday, the world will turn its attention, as it does every year around this time, to Hollywood, where actors, filmmakers, writers, and technicians will gather for the granddaddy of all award shows. In other words, it's Oscar time, and in honor of the Academy Awards, John and I thought we would review one of the greatest Oscar winners of all time. Winner of seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Director, Cinematographer, and Editor, Lawrence of Arabia isn't just one of the greatest Oscar winners of all time. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Directed by David Lean and starring Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Alec Guinness, and the unstoppable Anthony Quinn, Lawrence of Arabia is a masterpiece that manages to tell a story that is at once epic and deeply personal. Joining us on our journey into the life of T.E. Lawrence is editor and Schmodown competitor Rachel Cushing, who brings incredible knowledge and passion to our discussion of this film. As always, you can buy Lawrence of Arabia, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed, on our website, cinephiles.net. And one more thing. This is a big movie. In fact, it's the longest film we've ever tackled on The Cinephiles, so there was no way we could fit everything we had to say in one episode. In fact, we couldn't fit everything we wanted to say about Act 1 in one episode. So this Friday, we will release the first of our multi-part exploration of Lawrence of Arabia on The Cinephiles. Oh, thanks, Dryden. This is going to be fun. Lawrence, only two kinds of creature get fun in the desert. Bedouins and gods, and you're neither. Take it from me. For ordinary men, it's a burning, fiery furnace. No, Dryden. It's going to be fun. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist. Let's see. Host, uh, producer, writer, uh, schmodown, combatant, participant, and the lover. lover What's that? The outlaw. The outlaw and lover of all things movies. And uh, it's a nice uh, sun, Sunday afternoon in my apartment. We're relaxing, or my place, rather, and uh, we're chilling out. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm looking forward to this one, man. We've been, people have been asking for us for this one for a long time. This is. Right. If 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 bigness is defined by length, Ooh. the biggest movie we've ever done. Yes, true. This is a big one. And this movie, the movie we're talking about today, you know, we have a lot of conversations about favorite films. And whenever you're in film, people say, what's your favorite film? What's the best film ever made? And I'm always uncomfortable with that question. I know you are. Because I feel, I'm always like, well, what do we mean by favorite? And what is the best? And how, what standards are we using? But in general, when people ask me what my favorite film is, the answer I give is Lawrence of Arabia. Wow. This is my favorite film. I thought, or I thought Citizen Kane was. No, I was very careful when we talked about it. You were. It is largely considered the greatest film. It is among my favorite films. But I, but I, Lawrence of Arabia is probably my favorite. I don't even know who you are anymore. I can't believe I'm a mystery wrapped in an enigma, much like <laughs> Mr. T. Lawrence. 
Um, and I'm yeah. really excited because we have someone else here who it's also her favorite film. Yeah. And that makes me more excited is that she's an editor and we can have editor conversation because I think an editor is one of the most misunderstood jobs yeah. in film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is someone that I've gotten to know recently uh, through the Schmodown, through stuff over at Collider. And uh, I, I would be remiss to not invite her to come talk about this movie. Uh, she mentioned it was one of her favorite films. And when I ran it by Steve, he was super excited to have her. You know her as the crusher in the Schmodown. She is an editor here around town. She's from the city of Boston. Loves films uh, top to bottom. Uh, and she's actually one of my favorite people that have come into my life over the last couple of years. So I'm very happy to have Rachel Cushing on the podcast. What a sweet intro. Well, Thank you. You're one of my favorite people. Aww. Having just joined the Collider Schmodown family, the best part about that has been meeting other film cinephile lovers yeah. and, and getting to just sit around and talk about movies, whether it's on microphone or not, is just one of my favorite things to do. So I'm really excited to be here. And this is a special excitement, Steve, because one of the things Rachel told me is that a lot of her friends don't sit around and talk <laughs> movies. Oh. And so when she can, can you imagine? Do it, yeah, when she can do it with people, she is even more excited. So I know that we're going to get a, a great rough. episode. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, just as we get started, just because you're an editor, and you know that's how sort of one of the first, other than writing and directing, mm -hmm. editing was like the first jobs that I had. Okay. Was working on DVD bonus materials and then nice. documentaries and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that editors see the world differently. I think they think differently. I think we have to because it's our job to. Because what the, what's the old adage that you make a film three times? You write it, you shoot it, you edit it. And the editor comes in with a fresh perspective. Or I like to when I'm yeah. editing material, you know, to bring a fresh eye to the material and go, you know, okay, this is what the plan was, but what about this or this? And then trying different things and the collaborative nature of it. And yeah, I mean, you, you just, you think differently um, after as many years as I have spent uh, editing uh, all kinds of footage. So, well, in, in parts, things that you watch in the film or sounds or lines, mm -hmm. they just fall apart at a certain point and they become tools that you can plug in in different places. Like yeah. the original intention doesn't really matter. It's only what can I use this for? Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing that I always think about, and this is a film that uh, I think won Best Editing. Oh, yeah, is, Anvie Coates. Is, of course, yeah, it's Anvie Coates, mm -hmm. one of the great editors of all time. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things I think about is that I always go, I don't understand how you give this award out. Because what we don't know when we look at a film is we don't know what they started with. It's true. We don't know what, sometimes the most the most brilliant editing I've ever done was something that no one would ever notice. It com looks completely normal, but they don't know the crazy shenanigans I had to do to figure out how to make that thing work. Absolutely. Sometimes the best editing is when you don't notice it. Like if you if you walk out of a movie and you don't think twice about that, then that means it's really well edited. And then there's other films where editing is clearly it's a the, stylistic uh, yeah. thing in terms of montages and 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 anything nonlinear or things like that. Then it then it's editing forward musicals things like that anything rhythmic you know those kinds of things you'll notice it even people who aren't editors i mean i will notice it anyway i'm sure you do too but um but yeah sometimes the best editing is the editing that you know you bent over backwards 10 ways to get to and and other people are just like that was that the, yeah. the story was great the movie was great and it's because that edit was great well and while i would like to talk i could talk about editing a lot longer <laughs> john's the, just sitting back the right editor, now. well the editor in me is saying <laughs> we have a really big movie to talk about uh -huh. and we're gonna have to move move along so uh rachel do you remember how you first came to the film yeah it was actually uh, later so my sort of 
uh, cinephile history. Um, I loved movies as a kid, but it wasn't until I was late in my teens that I sort of discovered, and I'm saying this with air quotes, film. And it led me to go to film school, which I did. And in film school, you see all of the normal. You see Citizen Kane. You see Psycho. And I remember going up to the professor afterwards and saying, what else? What else can I take in right now? And he gave me a list of movies, and this was on it. And so, unfortunately, my my inaugural viewing was on my tiny little TV VCR set in my dorm room, you know, that I'd rented from Blockbuster down <laughs> nice. the street. But it still floored me. Mm. And... I I just I'm a big history buff so like I knew a lot about this time period and then I went and I read about it and I just kept watching and rewatching and uh as you said I'm an editor now and David Lean was an editor and you can tell and there's just such iconic cuts in this movie that we'll talk about and it it just spoke to me on every level in terms of somebody who was a burgeoning cinephile at that time and uh it has solidified itself as one of my favorite films of all time. What about you? Um it was one of my f- parents favorite films my mother was a massive uh fan of peter o'toole like there's been no yeah. more beautiful Who isn't man. yeah exactly and, those eyes oh uh, yeah um him and uh, tyrone power and victor mature those were the hmm. actors that my wow. mom was super obsessed with and so i remember maybe as a kid watching it on one of the tvs we had in the house uh but i didn't really watch it until um the 90s, and I went to go down, to, and I've talked about this before on the show, that when I got old enough that I understood what film was and I could drive myself around to places, I would go down into D.C. and watch movies at the Uptown, and I remember one of the first iterations of a recent uh, edit of the film or cleanup of the film, they showed it at uh, the Uptown at 70, in 70 millimeter, and I went and saw it, and that that is... Uh, one of the most seminal moments of my experiences of my life in understanding film because everyone was like, oh, it's a film of it's in the desert, it's going to be boring, blah, blah, blah. Like, I heard all these things from different people, and I thought, yeah, it was a long film. And I uh, drove down and I uh, just walked out of that theater just completely blown away by what I had watched, and I couldn't even process it. Like, it took me much later in my life to understand what I had seen and to grow in appreciation of the movie. But at the time, I was just so blown away by the scope of it by the incredible characters and by the story itself and the tragedy of the guy's life. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, for me, I first watched it and it was one of those movie of the week event ah, yeah. things. I watched it with my family. I was probably 12 or 13. Mm. And I, you know, I was a kid and I knew that this was something. First of all, I remember just going, I don't understand how a movie can be this long, <laughs> you know, because particularly with commercials and it was, and it probably was a way cut down version of it that I saw because, you know, the movie, the director's cut is three hours and 42 minutes, which is, that's a lot of it's movie. Long. And the, uh, there've been various cuts that have 20, 30, 40, an, even an hour taken out of it. And my guess is the TV one that I saw was a lot shorter. Mm. And then I remember buying is one of the first VHS movies I bought was the double tape oh, Lawrence oh, of Arabia remember yeah, those? in the big box. Yep. Um, and then I owned it on Laserdisc, mm-hmm. and then I owned it on DVD and then I owned it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. E- almost every time I see that it's in the theater, I go to see it. Mm-hmm. I saw, I remember seeing when they did the big restore in the mid eighties or late eighties, 89, yeah. 89. Yeah, and that's um, when they found all the old footage and they yes. redubbed yeah. some of the lines. Yeah. They got yeah. Peter O'Toole back in yep. the booth. Like, yep. that's that's the definitive version now because they and had I, cut yeah. down and cut I remember down. lining up and seeing it, I think, at the North Point Theater in San Francisco. And then I saw it at the UC <laughs> Theater. And then I saw it. I saw it. It was the last movie that showed at the Cinerama Dome before they built the Arclight. 
So it's when they closed down, they showed Lawrence Arabia. I went to see it then. I've seen it since then multiple times in this. I mean, like, this is a big movie. And then, and also, uh, like you, I love history. And so, you know, I read Seven Pillars of Wisdom Mm -hmm. and I read, you know, Lawrence and the Arabs and Lawrence Mm -hmm. of Arabia, the Robert Graves book, and like kept going back to this, or even Paris 1919, which is about the peace process, Mm -hmm. kept going back to this era because as we're going to find out, this movie, this is a seminal moment in history that we are still dealing with today. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Um, so, and, and what we should say, which I think most of the people listening to us know, is that this is a true story. This is about Thomas Edward Lawrence, and the, he really existed. And he is in many ways not the character in the film, and in many ways is. And he is in many ways less dramatic than the guy in the film, and in many ways much, much more. Just encapsulates everything about him. He was a walking dichotomy in yeah. so many ways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and and David Lean wanted to make a film about Lawrence Arabia for decades, mm-hmm. for decades, um, before he finally came to do it. Uh, and I think that I think the movie just to talk a little bit about pre-production. The movie that really got them there is doing Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, such and, a great film, and that's yeah. what Sam Speed. We're going to do that. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, man. It's a fan, and that was sort of because you look at the earlier David Lean films and the ones during World War II, they're much smaller. They're black and white British some uh, fantastic films particularly like Brief Encounter mm-hmm. which is one of my all time favorites he did a couple early versions of uh, Dickens movies Dickens right? movies uh, Great Expectations mm-hmm. and Oliver Twist mm-hmm. so yeah and he, and he did Noel Coward there was mm-hmm. like uh, Only So Few I think and some other ones and they're all really good but they don't have the, they're not Bridge on the River Kwai no. and that's this big huge movie set on location with Alec Guinness and that's what sort of gave them and Jack Hawkins and Jack Hawkins yeah. is in it yeah um, and that's what sort of gave them the thing to move on to do Lawrence mm-hmm. of Arabia. But Lawrence of Arabia, this is, I, you know, again, what's the hardest movie that was ever made? I don't know what it is. We've talked about a couple of them, like Jaws and Apocalypse Now, but mm-hmm. this is on the list. Oh, this easily. Is a, this is a tough movie to make. Um, in uh, it, It's interesting that the, the first screenplay is written by Michael Wilson, who is a blacklisted writer who also wrote Kwai and didn't get credit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think he's w- the one who also wrote um, one of the drafts of Planet of the Apes that oh, we talked about. We talked about yeah. yeah. And um, and then they bring in Robert Bolt to also write a mm-hmm. script. And they bring in the first actor they offer it to is... Albert Finney, right? Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Yeah. Comes in to do a screen test. Yeah. They offer him the gig and he Completely turns... Completely unknown. Completely unknown. I'm, I, I, he, th- yeah, I'm pretty sure he might have like had a really small role, but the idea from the beginning seems to have been that they wanted an unknown, and he was Lean's absolute first choice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, great actor. I can't imagine. I don't actually know what he looked like in 1961. Or it's actually a really good point. His height's a little more on point in terms oh, yeah, of Lawrence, because yeah. Lawrence was like what five, five two, five, five three. and Peter O'Toole's like six two. But uh, but yeah, that's one of those things where you just gotta like squint and go. Can I picture that? Yeah. I'm not sure I can. I don't know. I mean, he's a great actor. Of course. I mean, honestly, there are certain performances in history that are so iconic. Yeah. I mean, how could you picture anybody other than Peter O'Toole playing this part? It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And the reason they found Peter O'Toole, apparently, is that Robert Bolt, who's the screenwriter, Mm -hmm. is a buddy of Peter O'Toole's and said, you got to go look at this. He's playing Shylock in the theater at the time. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, he was basically a stage actor. Yeah. He had acted in like one movie or two, maybe, with small parts. Yeah. Basically, he was a stage actor. He considered himself a Shakespearean actor and he was young to be one like yeah. you said Shylock's that's a an older character he was like 27 or 28 when all this was happening oh. yeah. and they do a screen oh. test Sam Spiegel totally against casting Peter O'Toole but it seems like when David Lean wants something <laughs> you don't really argue with <laughs> right. it yep. right and, and so they go off to make this ridiculous movie in the desert determined to shoot on location which they mostly did mm-hmm. 
They had a five month shooting schedule, which right there, that's a long movie. Yes. Oh yeah. It took two years. Mm-hmm. Two. I yeah. mean, logistically, you just have to think about shooting in the desert. Some days they would get one shot done. Yeah. Because of like uh, any number of things, and he was so adamant about shooting at certain times of day and so you only have this 15 minute window to get that perfect sunset shot or, or sunrise shot or whatever and then all logistics think of the logistics of sand yeah people would they would talk about people would walk across the sand in the shot and then they'd have to get out sweepers out there and get out the the, the footprints like plastic cups would like yeah. fly out in the wind and then somebody would have to go get it and wipe out like they mm-hmm. just everything that they had to do to shoot that movie practically just there was no way five months was going to work. <laughs> and uh, what faith from the studio to point. Yeah. sit there for two years and have faith that he's going to turn out something worth it to tie up all these actors, all these production people mm-hmm. and pay them. Well, and, and, and part of the thing, I mean, when you think about guys sweeping stand, sand, <laughs> it's like it's you got to think about it's th- they, they might have camels. They might have 40 camels go off three quarters of a mile mm-hmm. in a shot. So that means they have to walk out three quarters mm-hmm. of a mile mm-hmm. and walk back sweeping. And every t- footprint that they make, they have to sweep that too. <laughs> this is like a really hard, and it's 130 degrees. Yeah. You know, and you're lugging these huge 70 millimeter cameras around. They're gigantic and there's dust storms and you're a hundred miles or more away from the nearest town, yeah. all living in tents. I mean, this is like brutal, yeah. brutal mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. And yet there's no movie that looks like this. Yeah. You know, like you just can't. I know we can do all these amazing things digitally, and I know we create all this stuff, but... They don't make movies like this anymore. No. It's nothing like Lawrence of Arabia. No, that's why I go back and see... It's the one movie I go back and see all the time in the theaters, in yeah. the Arrow or the Egyptian. It is the one movie that I will go multiple times in a year to go see, because it's it's like falling back in love with something. You go, oh, that's right. Oh, you know? And the four hours drift away. Like, they just drift away. Even with the intermission, you don't care. It's so incredible because it's... it's yeah, I mean, maybe it's just me because I love the film, but yeah. it doesn't seem slow. Nope. Not to me at all. Not, no. not a little bit. Everything's Never happened. understood that criticism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So much is happening to propel you to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, So I didn't have a lot of pre-production. Uh, can, I, can I add one thing? Yes. Uh, They wanted Olivier for uh the Alec Guinness. They were going to... Yeah, for Faisal. Olivier was the first choice along with Albert Finney Mm -hmm. and Olivier turned it down uh, in the end because he felt like the part wasn't big enough and then they went to Guinness. Well, because Guinness was in consideration yeah. for Lawrence, but I yeah, mean, I Lawrence think early on they were like, "He's too old yeah. to play that part." But yeah. you can't, you can't imagine. I mean, Lean wanted Guinness in the movie, yeah. and for sure. But yeah, that's crazy. Imagine picture Olivier as yeah. Faisal, and, great actor. Uh, yeah, true, yeah. absolutely. And Lean fought with a number of the actors on set too. Like he fought with Hawkins all the time, and he fought with the guy that plays uh, Lawrence's uh, English friend who helps him through the when he first arrives. It tells him to be quiet. That guy. He fought with that actor as well because he had visions, but the actors most of the time won. So whether so whether Lean Lean beat Spiegel on a number of things, his actors beat Lean. So it was mm. all progressive. It's all progressive. <laughs> all that works. Well, you know, making a movie is a negotiation, yeah. Yeah. one kind or another. Yeah. Um, the movie starts with an overture. Oh my God! As all the great epics should. Um, Maurice Jarre, unreal. The, it's one of my favorite scores. Oh, easy. And so recognizable. All three main themes, so yeah. recognizable. Yeah. 
And as I've been working on the film, man, that music has been stuck in my head. <laughs> it is just beating me down a little bit. <laughs> Um, but it is an amazing power. And it's interesting, the idea of, I'm going to show you a three-hour and 45-minute movie, and I'm going to make you sit for a few minutes right at the beginning to watch an overture. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder, you know, and obviously that comes out of theater and out of yeah. opera, and I'm going to acquaint you with these themes, but there's also sort of a, oh, I'm settling into something different. Mm. You know, right. this is not your usual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the overture, we have this really remarkable top-down shot looking at Lawrence as he's right before the end of his life, packing up his motorcycle. And it's a skew. It's an interesting oh. shot from above, right? It's, to me- it's meant to make you feel unsettled, uncomfortable, not solid. It, it, and probably well, not what you would expect, because even if you didn't necessarily know who T. Lawrence was, yeah. it's called Lawrence of Arabia. The right. posters have the desert. Yeah. And here you are on a shot in England with a motorcycle and you, and you can't really see his face. And you, it, it, again, like you were saying with the overture, you're, you're set off balance from the get-go in yeah. this film. It's already not what you were expecting. Yeah. Well, and remember no one had seen Peter O'Toole before. Yeah. Right. This is really his first, I mean, he'd done little stuff, but they, you're, now you're watching this big movie, Lawrence Arabia, and you see this middle-aged guy working, putting on some weird goggles, getting on a bike <laughs> And riding off. And it's interesting, too. I, my guess, if you were a certain age in England, you knew that he was about to die. Mm. Because oh, this is yeah. a oh, he very famous figure. a mythological fa- figure oh. in British. Yeah, American Huge. audience is not as much, but in terms of Great oh, Britain. from the beginning absolutely. of the shot. Absolutely. You know yeah, the history this is what's about to happen. Yeah, I mean, this is, gotcha. like, this is like, you know, James Dean getting exactly. in the poor spider yeah. or... Yeah, I mean, you kind of know when these things are going to happen. Right. Um, and uh, But if you're an American audience, maybe not. I did yeah. not the first time I saw it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, he gets on this motorcycle and he drives, and we're in these really uh, tight close-ups and the very fast-feeling POV as he's driving along, and you already feel insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, there's a couple of young kids come up. He swerves the bike to avoid them, and then we get that great, you know... Goggles shot. Goggles shot, <laughs> and we go, okay, he's dead. Cut to the... The um the statue of Lawrence that's in St Paul's Cathedral in London, um and what's interesting I was thinking and we just did Citizen Kane mm. okay. on the show yeah. is that there's so many similarities because they both start with a man's death mm. and then the second scene you know after News on the March which we don't have in, anything like in Lawrence Arabia is you have these guys standing around going talking well who it. is this guy yeah. like how who is this person and that's exactly what we have outside on the steps of St Paul's is people kind of asking reporters going around saying. Who was? What can we say about T. Lawrence? And we hear, much like in Citizen Kane, a bunch of people saying a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bentley, you must know as much about Colonel Lawrence as anybody does. Yes, it was my privilege to know him and to make him known to the world. He was a poet, a scholar, and a mighty warrior. Thank you. He was also the most shameless exhibitionist since Barnum and Bailey. It's one of those scenes that works so well the second time you see the movie because mm. you're not necessarily sure i mean that's that's alan b and that's um the reporter bentley yeah, who are yeah. who are talking and you don't necessarily know that the first time you watch but then you watch the whole movie you see lawrence's story and then if you go back and you watch that scene you're like that's crazy that that's what alan b would say about him and then you say yeah. well that's exactly what bentley would say about him because he's, he's he's calling a poet a scholar a warrior yeah. and also like the biggest uh the most shameless exhibitionist exhibitionist since barnum, since barnum and, bailey. and bailey yeah um, like, well, yeah 
and and the the doctor guy who ends up slapping Lawrence when he's in his robes and then congr- and like shakes oh, yeah, his who hand. shakes his hand later. He's there the, at the like, very end of the movie. The hey, I heard what you said about Lawrence. He's like all like uh, takes such umbrage with him. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. think that's the doctor, is it? Is that's the same guy, isn't it? No, I think it's the sergeant who shakes his hand. And that's Lawrence the sergeant the- that slaps him. No, that's a colonel that slaps him, but it's I, I don't think that's the guy who sla- Now I have to check again. I know. Oh. I was just thinking that because I know that the, it's I, the same guy that slaps him in the hospital. Yes. And then that's shakes what I mean. his hand yeah. it's a couple scenes later yeah. because he thinks he's a... Oh, he, maybe he's I, a, that, I think, I think, think I'm wrong. Guy. All right. Okay. I could be wrong. More So more connections yeah. in the sense of like now you kn- we've gotten to know what his story is and then you go back to the beginning and you see all these people remembering I might have something totally him. wrong about Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> I might have to go and check this. That's why they call it cinephile. An I excuse guess so. to rewatch the scene. <laughs> um, and, and, and we get these, you know, these moments where we hear like the difference between the public version and the private yeah. version. And we also hear about just the mystery of this man people just like he's the most extraordinary man i ever knew no i didn't really know him you know and the mere fact that he's buried at saint paul's yeah yeah that's huge that that speaks to the what the legend of him the myth of him but the question is what was the man like and mm-hmm. that's the question that hopefully or the movie tries to answer and through one of the generals we hear oh no i didn't really know him but he had a minor job at my uh mm. and my staff in cairo <laughs> and it's a perfect cut to yeah. him in cairo. cairo uh and then we have now seen for the first time the young Peter O'Toole mm-hmm, yeah. and he from the beginning what an odd quirky fascinating erudite character we mm-hmm. have yep. Michael George Hartley this is a nasty dark little room that's right we are not happy in it I am it's better than a nasty dark little trench and you're a big noble fellow that's right I think what you said earlier about Citizen Kane is correct. This is Kane spinning around in the newspaper yep. chair, confronting uh, nope. Bernstein or confronting a, a, a Thatcher. Thatcher. Yeah. It's a perfect introduction to yeah. the character. He's so unusual in the uh, the the way he says the guy's full name every time. Michael, Michael J. J. Hotley. Michael George Hotley. By the way, that guy ends up becoming a director, and he directed almost every episode of Monty Python and the Flying Circus. What? The actor. The actor who plays that That's guy. That's awesome. He won, British, <laughs> he won British Emmys all over the place. And, oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I had, no, I had no idea. I just stumbled upon the fact a few days ago. And, and right from the beginning, he says, this is a nasty, dark little room. We yeah. are not happy here. <laughs> and immediately, we get this idea of who this character is. Yeah. And he's reading the Arab newspapers, so he's sort of ahead of what other people uh, are knowing about. And then we get this moment of, he lights this guy's cigarette yeah. with a match. And slowly, the match burns down. And then he puts it out with mm-hmm. his fingers. It's so symbolic. It, exactly. It's it's right. one of those cases of telling you what a person is about. You're, you're learning about their personality without a line of dialogue. Right. It's not. There's no words, but that gesture, him doing that. And then, of course, the line after is the trick is not minding that it hurts. Is mm-hmm. just again one scene, and you're already like this guy. Yeah. You know, you have a, a pretty clear idea of of you know how he fits into this world, which is uh, not very easily. Right. I mean, he's, he's not anything you expect an officer in a military to Especially be. Especially a lower-ranked officer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the trick is not minding that it hurts. That's the thing we're going to be, be thematic oh, yeah. throughout oh, yeah. the whole film. Yep. And, and it's funny. Since this is a real person, I, I kind of did more research on mm-hmm. him, and I'm fascinated by him. And so there, for a few times in the course of this, I want to kind of jump back and tell you a little bit about the real Lawrence. Um, he was, as we find out later in 
the movie, his father wasn't married to his mother, but it sounds like they actually had a fairly loving relationship. Like they left and lived together and he had uh, three brothers. Um, and fast, right from the beginning, Ned, which is what they called him, mm-hmm. and as a little kid was pushing himself to go without sleep, go without food, go without water. As 12-year-old, a 13-year-old. Wow. When he was 14 years old, I think, or when he's 15 years old, he went by himself on his bicycle and toured medieval castles in England. When he was 17 years old, he did a thousand mile bike ride touring castles uh, throughout Europe wow. by himself. Wow. Um, and he, I mean, this is a guy, I think had he been around today, he would be like an ultra marathoner, mm-hmm. right. like just an, a guy obsessed with pushing his body to the limits. Mm-hmm. He loved archaeology and antiquities. And that led him at 19 to say, oh, well, I really want to go is to the Middle East and explore medieval uh, or uh, crusade castles in the Middle East. And so he goes, I'm going to go start touring them. And he's talking to experts of the area. And the experts say, oh, well, you're going to need seven servants and this many tents and this many camels and this many. He's like, no, no, I want to go by myself. I'm like, you can't. No one, no European has ever done this. And he goes off and walks for three years throughout what is today Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine. And so by the time he's 21, which is about when World War I starts, he knows more Arab languages, tribes, customs, religion, and geography than really any European around. Hmm. To the point where, as they're starting to build up the early intelligence groups, they say, well, the guy you really have to talk to is this guy, T.E. Lawrence, who's this 21, 22-year-old kid who's been wandering the desert forever. And so really, he's a spy. From the beginning. So, and and he wanted to join the army because he had very romantic ideas about knights and across. chivalry and all yeah. this stuff. He was, he believed in the great hero, heroic images, oh, yeah. uh, but he couldn't join the army because he's too short. So yeah. they, they wouldn't let him in. He never joined the army. This is one of the weird things about wow. is that what happened was, is that they say there's a general who's going to be taking over in this area at the beginning of World War I in the war against the Ottoman Empire. And they say, well, you, we got to talk. You got to be briefed by T.E. Lawrence. And the general says, I'm not going to get briefed by a civilian. And they go, okay. And they went, go and borrow a lieutenant's mm-hmm. uniform <laughs> and put it on T.E. Lawrence. And he goes in to brief the general pretending to be a lieutenant. And it's, the general's like, that's great. I want you on my staff. And that's how he was in the army. Wow. Yeah. And so he's both more and less than this guy that we meet in the movie is sort of kind of seems like he's done nothing. Mm -hmm. The real T Lawrence has been deeply involved in intelligence and he is at this time writing back and forth with Winston Churchill, who's the first Lord of the Admiralty. So he's this weird sort of brilliant, very low level officer who's interacting with these very, very high level officers Mm -hmm. all the time at this point that we're at the staff in Cairo before he goes into the desert for the first time. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. 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 He's, I'm telling you, he's among the most <laughs> bizarre, fascinating people in yep. history. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? 
free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Let's go see the general. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, first, he goes, walks through the mess, and we see his awkwardness and mm. his, uh, he just doesn't fit in and the sort of goofiness. And I, I just the moment where he knocks all the balls. Physicality of his mm-hmm. performance, I think, doesn't get as much. Like everybody talks about his face, and, and he's yeah. a brilliant in it throughout, but I love how bumbling he is. And that's yeah. probably difficult when you're six two yeah. i mean to, to like to have that come across and look as naturally bumbling as it does and boyish yes yeah. very uh, yes yeah and, and charming we really like this guy. oh yeah uh so he goes in to meet with the general um and and right at the beginning before uh lawrence enters we get to see our friend claude rains yay who we've had on a whole bunch of movies on the yeah. cell files because <laughs> he was in casablanca he's in robin hood he's in uh mr smith, smith. yeah so great, and he's different, really different in all these parts. Yeah, he's so enigmatic in this movie. He mm-hmm. is, he is. And then we get a little bit of this argument of is it even worth it to spend any time dealing with the Bedouin in the desert? Right. And the general clearly seems to think it isn't, and Claude Rains clearly thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's he's trying to guide the general to his way of thinking. Yeah, but in a very subtle way, which is with the gift of Claude Rains, he can be overt, but he can also be so. Relax that he slides you right into the place. It's incredible. Well, and he's, I mean, he's a politician. Like, yes. That is, that is what he does. Very manipulative. So, yeah. <laughs> um, in comes Lawrence, doesn't salute. <laughs> if you're insubordinate of me, Lawrence, I shall put you under arrest. It's my manner, sir. Your what? My manner, sir. It looks insubordinate, but it isn't really. Well, I can't make out whether you're bloody bad mannered or just half-witted. I have the same problem, sir. Shut up. Yes, sir. And there's that wonderful Peter O'Toole has the best soft voice of anyone I know. And I love mm-hmm. the it's my manner, sir. It looks insubordinate, but it isn't really. <laughs> um, he's so odd and so funny. Um, and, and then he does this thing. He quotes, uh, you know, I cannot fiddle, but I can make a great stink from a little city through Mysticles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the general's response is like, you know, I know you've been well educated, Lawrence. It says so in your dossier. <laughs> And stop showing up. Yeah, yeah stop yeah. showing. Which, by the way, one of the things that Lawrence did to manipulate people 
was to uh, correct people's grammar on reports mm. and do and, and then drop in classical quotes to irritate people. So he got shipped off their staff to go somewhere else that he really wanted to go. And he would also change the order that reports came in so that people would see his reports first or people would see not see this other report for a couple of days. Wow. He did all sorts of shenanigans mm. to manipulate himself into the position that he's about to be in wow. right here because he really wanted to go out into yeah. the desert. Yeah. That's what he really wanted. Um. And and we kind of get this idea of we want to send him out into mm-hmm. meet Prince Faisal, and the general is against it, but we finally convince him that that's what's going to happen. What is do you think uh, Claude Rains' character's knowledge of Lawrence is worth in this? Because he supports him through this whole process, and it's a great question. You're right. I mean, like to me, they kind of make it implied that he had he's had his eye on Lawrence for quite some time. I think so. I think that this is the political manipulative, you know thinking ahead in terms of mm. the end of the war. Like, I think all of the, what ends up happening um, between the, the British and the Arabs is, is already at play here. Yeah. And he's looking for chess pieces to to put all the things into motion that he wants to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and I always got the, in, the sense that they had some interaction before because of the way that Lawrence acts with him, yeah. but that also that Dryden all along was like, this guy's going to help me get to the place that I need to, or the British to get to, you, the place we need to. Do you think he had any expectation that Lawrence would actually command troops or attack anyone? Like I don't what? think it went that far, mm. but I think that he understood that the he couldn't manipulate the Arabs with just any old British officer. He needed somebody a little outside the box, and that I think he thought that Lawrence would fit that mold and maybe at least relate to them and be his go-between. I don't think he expected everything Ocker, that Lawrence, yeah. yeah but They, they, they already know. had so many different British officers in there with yeah. minimal effect and minimal uh, pushing closer and closer to the sides that why not introduce an X factor to see what could happen, to shake things up a little bit. And, and, uh, it's a smart move. Yeah, and maybe he knew that Lawrence <clears throat> wouldn't be as judgmental of the Arabs as... Yeah. Every clearly every other British yeah. officer, including the one uh, Anthony Quayle plays yeah, Anthony Quayle, that yeah. he he meets the, uh, out there. Um, so I, my guess is, yeah, that that there was some knowledge and thinking he would be useful for meeting his ends. Yeah. Well, and they get to have a little private conversation before yes. we head off. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and this is the key thing. It's going to be fun. And Claude Rains' response is, Lawrence, only two kinds of creature get fun in the desert: Bedouins and gods, and you're neither. Take it from me. For ordinary men, it's a burning, fiery furnace. There's a burning, fiery <laughs> furnace out <Yeah>. there. <laughs> and, and, and the, uh, uh, the oh no, it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It is recognized that you have a funny sense of fun. Mm-hmm. That's one of those lines that shouldn't be a good line. Right. The repetition of the same sound over yeah. in yeah. that way doesn't usually work. And it so works. And then Lawrence lights the match. This cut. Oh, my God. And he holds it. And what do we think is going to happen? think he's going to pinch th- it out because that's, what, pin- been established. that's what we did before mm-hmm. and i don't understand why this is a magical cut but it is mm-hmm. it's one of the great qu- cuts in the history of film it is recognized that you have a funny sense of fun and lawrence lifts up the match yep holds it in front of his face and he blows it out <sighs> and then we're in the desert in those few seconds before dawn and as we hear the music start to build slowly but surely we see the tiny sliver of the sun come up beyond the horizon. 
And as it grows larger and larger, and light begins to flood the space, the music builds in this unbelievable way, until finally we reveal the true splendor of the Arabian Desert. just one of a thousand gorgeous shots yeah. that are coming but it was it's it's there, there's an emotional quality to the cut that's mm-hmm. sort of hard to pinpoint but you do get the feeling like oh here we go well, in and, that moment and part of it's the music yes, which is true. the beautiful yeah. rising music and i think part of it is that we have withheld the desert yes is that this is called lawrence arabia and as you said when we open mm-hmm. what is this why am i looking about this guy in the and motorcycle, motorcycle. Yeah. and then i'm in these you know, building and this headquarters. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, no, here's the desert. And, and it is so, and what's, you would say it's one of the most beautiful shots of all time, except literally almost every shot in the film is one of the most beautiful shots of all time. (laughs) It just never stops. It it is absolutely amazing. And there we are with Lawrence, with his guide Mm -hmm. out in the desert Mm -hmm. and they stop for a drink. Lawrence pours, he says only one cup and Lawrence pours his drink and then sees the other guys not drinking. And then goes, I'll drink when you drink. And he pours the water back in the canteen. Yeah, A great reveal of who this guy's character is. And the subsequent scenes, too, because already we're seeing what I was just saying in that Lawrence is not treating this man as an inferior human mm. species. He is actually getting to know him mm-hmm. and coupled with this pushing himself in that physical way to be on equal footing with this right. guy, this Bedouin that, you know, He's like, of course, I don't have to drink. I'm Bedouin. And Lawrence is like, well, then I'm not going to either. Mm-hmm. And there's just, again, so you're learning so much in this, just these little moments in his inter, in his first inter, interaction with one of the Arabs. Yeah. Well, and the, the not treating him like an equal, mm-hmm. that is a key thing for his character. Mm-hmm. And something we'll see contrasted with with the British officers over and oh, over, yeah. over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes off to ride the Campbell. And even then you can see Peter O'Toole's <laughs> performance, sort of the, this is the fun adventure. Yeah. Like, I'm so excited. You could see the kid in him. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what's so endearing about the character. Uh, where at night, there's the they're camping out. They're looking up at the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no stars like the desert in my oh, personal no, experience. No, I 100% agree with you. I go camping in the desert all the time purely to lay out under the stars. Oh, it's beautiful. I remember I was in the Negev, which is in Israel, oh, wow. and just like, oh, I'd never seen the stars before. Yep. Like, I didn't, I didn't know this true. existed. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Um, I leave it to you, too. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> we'll show you pictures. Yeah, great. You could watch Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, that's there perfect. Yeah. I'll live vicariously through that. Um, and, and, and Skype at, me. At yep. this point, the his guide has started to go, are you sure you're from England? Like, <laughs> right. is that a desert country? Mm-hmm. Right. And I love Lawrence's response. No. Fat country. Fat people. You are not fat? No. I'm different. Right. Clearly already stating what we're learning and that, that he doesn't fit in anywhere. Yeah. Like, like he is very different and considers himself very different he's not british he well, doesn't see himself that and that's the thing about it him as we progress through the movie is mm-hmm. what starts out as an enjoyable thing for him to, to embrace this culture respect this culture love this culture comes at the expense of his own culture 
right? Mm. Until much later when the tables are turned and he gets too deep, too arrogant, too cocky, too believing of his own abilities yeah. to do these things and how the tragedy be but when it be just like just like well just this is really interesting you brought this thing put it all in my head now it's like well is this whole feeling that he can do or Kane rather this whole feeling that his young swagger and his ability to do everything will just carry the day well they are both truly arrogant people yes i mean uh -huh. i think lawrence accomplishes lawrence isn't born rich like Kane's right, 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 Kane's right. main superpower is wealth yes but lawrence has other superpowers yes to bring to bear he actually feels like he earned it yes to some degree, but his arrogance mm -hmm. still becomes a problem, as we'll, oh, as we'll certainly get to. Yeah. Um, it's the next morning. The uh, the guide sees this gun, the rev Lawrence's revolver. And this is true in, in Arab cultures, is that if you admire a thing, yeah. then someone will immediately say, here, let me give it to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what Lawrence does. He says, well, take it. Um, he goes, well, I'll take it to Faisal, and then you could give it to me. And he goes, no, no, take it now. Um, and what does the our guide want to do in exchange? He's like, have a little food. <laughs> Try Bedou food. So Peter O'Toole's acting in this moment. Yeah. This is a master class in acting. Mm -hmm. I, some, is that you see him eat the, you see his reluctance to eat this food. You see him put the food in the mouth. You see that it's horrible. Yeah. You see him know that he cannot show that it's horrible and turn his horrible reaction into it's very good. And then you see the guy so happy yeah. that he likes the food that he says, have some more. And then he goes... <laughs> Yes, I will have some more. <laughs> that is like great acting yeah. to me. I, 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 that moment is amazing. Um, the, by the way, the next note I have as they ride off of the desert, I, I had written, every shot is great. And the next note I had is, seriously, every shot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. Every single shot you look at him and go, oh, my God. Yeah. They did, he leaned really, really wanted to make sure you understood the vastness and the, the scope of the desert because the desert's a character and yeah. you you need to understand. And it's like people who think that it's too long and they're like, well, they're just on camels like walking through the desert a lot of the time. I'm like, well, to give you the sense of how much time it takes to do that and the wear and tear of that and what that would do to a person out there for that long. So, I mean, the, the shots are beautiful, but they're there for a reason too. And I just think that Lean is, is it, it, his use of them is perfect well and they're always advancing story yes, i mean they're still absolutely. yes they are yes they're walking left to right yes they're walking right to left mm -hmm. but you get a different sense of who lawrence is and what's happening yeah. from each shot and i don't think i've seen a film capture the desert quite even close to this until english patient in mm -hmm. my opinion like it didn't really i mean there's a scene in in good bad and the ugly but it's very brief what they have in the desert i'm talking the way they turn the desert into a character absolutely. yeah you know yeah. And so it's fantastic um they look off into the distance, and way in the distance, they see the Bedouin tribe yes. moving mm -hmm. through. And I always look at that to me is like that's a shot where that really works when you're in the big theater in 70 millimeter. Oh, yeah. And my 52 inch plasma, I was like, I can't even see that. <laughs> um, it's the first time, by the way, my TV's 10 years old, and I've, it was the first time I was really watching a movie. It's like, all right, I need a new TV. Yeah. That TV's too small. I need, I need bigger. You need a 4K. <laughs> I do. Soon, soon. If you subscribe on Patreon, <laughs> so Steve can get a fork No, that's not the point of subscribing to Patreon. What? For us to line our pockets. The point <laughs> is to help fund the show. We make the show better if I can see <laughs> films in higher resolution. Please don't listen to that, people. Okay, go ahead. Um, so we have a little riding lesson. He makes his camel. Is it called galloping when a camel goes fast? Mm. That is a very good question. I have no idea. It looks 
So awkward, though. They are hor- they're horrible to ride. Did you read this a little tidbit that um, Peter O'Toole, after like the spending months learning how to ride a camel, he actually like went out and bought like a piece of rubber foam to put on the camel hump so that it'd be oh, more wow. comfortable. And by the end of the shoot, almost everybody was doing that. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> you should have cornered the market on. Yeah, really. Unfortunately, he falls off the camel, um, <laughs> and now we have finally made it to the well. Oh, what a scene! What a shot! Yeah, we go, we get water, we get some water out from the well. We're having a little conversation. We're reclining. L- Lawrence is playing with his compass. He's whistling the song, The Man Who Broke uh, the Bank at Monte Carlo, which he's going to sing later on. Rum te tum te tum te. And wait, and then there's the guy drops the bag back into the well and then stops. And there's this weird sort of tension. He's looking off in the distance. Lawrence is looking off in the distance. And then. As they stand there, we see way, way off in the distance, a tiny figure. Like way off. Yeah. And you're not even sure at first because it's that desert, like yeah. shimmering mirage, mirage yeah. thing. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm seeing. Am I seeing something? And it it takes so long for it to finally take shape and until you're finally like, okay, yeah, no, that there is a, a something coming. Yeah. Here. But it, yeah. The, the, the tension of what is it? lingers for a while so it's a 450 millimeter lens which is a pretty long Mm -hmm. lens and to make this work they had um, a smoke pot just below camera that was heating up the ground and that's helping create that mirage and then they had guys in jeeps like a mile and a half away driving back and forth kicking dust up and then they also went we're not don't have really depth we can't see depth because the the sand is all sort of uniform in color so they painted a black stripe along the sand which you could see in it to give it a sense of depth Mm And this is one of those, like, I don't know how many they could have done of these in a day, you know? Yeah, really. Two? Yeah. Maybe. It takes so long to set this Mm -hmm. up. And slowly but surely, a figure in black riding a horse appears. Our guide freaks out, runs to get Lawrence's gun out of the uh, saddlebag, pulls it, and just as he aims, the guy in stride fires his rifle, and our guide goes down. What a character intro. Hmm. It's one of the best of all time. Oh my God, yes. And we get to meet another unbelievably charismatic and beautiful actors. Yeah, yeah. unreal. Uh, in the, 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 two of these guys are in this movie and, and the careers they went on to have. But yeah, I mean, it's... And, and the fact that their eventual chemistry together and their friendship off camera and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, this movie really does in a lot of ways come down to um, that that relationship and Omar Sharif is absolutely fantastic in this movie. And he wasn't even supposed to play this part. Yeah, it was, it was very to... close to the end when they started he... actually looking at Arab actors yeah. to play Arab characters. He was supposed to play the guide. Yeah. And then they switched it uh, as it was going down, yeah. Did you see who they were talking to originally to play uh, Ali? No. Horse Buchholz. Oh, Buchholz, right, from uh, Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven, yes. yeah. He said he couldn't do it. He was doing something else or some other film or something. Yeah. Thank God. Yes, agree. No offense, Horst. No. Um, and the other thing I found out. <laughs> no offense, Holst. Yeah. O- Omar had never had a mustache. Oh. That was David Lean's idea. Wow. They tried a beard first and it didn't work. And they're like, no, 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 we're not. This isn't going to work. And then no. they tried the mustache and was like, you know what? Th- this, this could work. You don't cover up that pretty face. Come on now. This scene and, and the scene that we're about to have between these two characters that are going to become really the best mm-hmm. of friends mm-hmm. is so complex and filled with stuff and you see all of Lawrence's anger and emotional control and who he wants to be and uh it's it's amazing I mean just the the you know why did you do this well this is my well 
Why? This is my well. I have drunk from it. You are welcome. He was my friend. That? Yes. That. What does he call it? Because he's a he's a hot 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 it or what is what is he that he can't drink at the well? He's like some other tribe. I yeah, forget what other tribe, tribe he's from. Well, there. Ali's a, the Harith. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But the the guide was he's a, a something a of the Benazawi or something. Yeah. I forget what it is. This is hot it well. And it's actually one of the things that doesn't get commented on a lot. Um, I read a book a few years ago about how accurate this film is in mm. terms of Arab religion and culture, mm. and you know what. Lawrence was able to do in terms of uniting the tribes is people don't realize what an accomplishment that was because the ingrained, you know, uh, culture was that, you know, tribes didn't work together. And that yeah. th- this thing that Ali just did that Lawrence cannot comprehend in this moment because you just shot my friend and Shari, uh, Sheriff Ali is just like, but he's from the other tribe. This is what we do is very, uh, true to the the Arab culture and, and the religion and everything else, and um, and Lean made sure to you know didn't hit the audiences over the head with it, but you know it, it is there in in uh, a lot of detail. Yeah. Well, and and his response is, you know, he has his name. He says, "My name is for my friends. None of my friends is a murderer." Yeah. And and this is like, well, kind of knee jerk. I don't think what Ollie thinks he did was murder. No, exactly. He thinks what he did was. This is how we do it. Yep. This guy drank out of the well. He knows he's not supposed to. And this is what happens. And, and, and he's kind of amused with uh, Lawrence at mm. this yeah. moment. You are angry, English. And, and, and defines that this guy is nothing. The well is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get our first sort of intense speech from Lawrence. Oof, what a quote. Sheriff Ali, so long as the Arabs fight tribe against tribe, so long will they be a little people, a silly people. Greedy, barbarous, and cruel, as you are. That's a lot. It's quite an, an indictment statement. Yeah, R- right. Like, who are you to say that? Mm-hmm. A, but also really cutting to the truth in terms of what the Arabs weren't able to do in the time that they needed to do it. In order to defeat the Turks, they had to put aside some of these characteristics and Lawrence recognized that yeah. look it's the arrogance of his privilege like mm-hmm. he can bash the English in one moment and bash the Arabs <laughs> as well like, who the fuck are you like you're like this right. is this kind of thing and he feels like he knows the right way to run the world which is the hubris of a young man regardless of intelligence it is the mm-hmm. hubris of a young man who thinks he knows better than everyone else or the older person because Ali is no more arrogant than Lawrence is just in a different way He's a, he's a lot less arrogant than Lawrence's. Well, eventually we find that out. But in this point, when he what he's done, we've seen it through the protagonist's eyes. And he looks like he's this uh, elitist Arab who shoots this guy for two in the wells. But as you find out later, he was, this is the tradition. This is the culture. This is the rules. Well, and this is the thing, too. And what's hard, and, you know, this is a little bit hard to navigate. But the, you know, we, if you read Seven Pillars of Wisdom, it's from Lawrence's perspective. Right, right, right. right. This book. is the movie. Yeah. Um, and the book, the movie is made by a bunch of British mm-hmm. people. And our, you know, it's not like we've had an easy time figuring out culture in the Middle East right. for the last century. Right. Yeah. And while I certainly think that T. Lawrence understood what was happening in the Arab world much more than the generals off in Cairo or the, or the lords in England or in France or in America... Us mucking around trying to tell people that we know better for them hasn't necessarily worked out that well. (laughs) And so, and and, you know, we'll talk about kind of where this ends up. Yeah. Um, But, but the point being that 
the Ottoman Empire had ruled this area for a long time, and the last uh, Muslim or Arab rulers were 700 years ago, mm. and that since then, particularly the Bedouins in the desert, had been broken down into tribes that were jealous and had small wars with each other. That's all certainly true. Yeah. And uh, Ali doesn't seem to be bothered by all this that much. That's and he's like, oh, let me take you to Faisal. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, I won't go with you. And and he says, I'm going to find it because I have this compass. And Ali comes and grabs <laughs> this compass away. Good army compass. How if I take it? Then you would be a thief. Which is the first time Ali sort of acts like, excuse me? Like, that is, that is not a, um, an insult to be taken lightly. And his response is, have you no fear? Have you no fear, English? Because mm-hmm. he, I literally just killed a dude yeah. <laughs> right next to you. Um, you're unarmed. You're standing here. Mm-hmm. I'm holding a rifle. You're at my well. You've just insulted me. Have you no fear? And he says, my fear is my concern. Truly. And he gives him back his compass. Yep. It's a great intro to a character mm-hmm. and a relationship. The, and that's the key. It's the relationship. Like he, like both of them are sizing the other one up and mm-hmm. are really surprised by, by what they're seeing just in this one moment, this one scene together. Yeah. And it's one of the things that happens when you make a movie about a true story is that you you tend to combine characters yeah. because you don't have the time to deal with seven different characters. You mm-hmm. take a bunch of characteristics and they, you put them all with one person. That seems what, like what Ollie is. There isn't a guy who is this character yeah. in, in Lawrence's, the real Lawrence's life. There were a bunch of different experiences that he had that relate to this, mm-hmm. but it's not all one guy. Auda, who we'll meet a little later, mm-hmm. that's a real guy. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he is, he's real. So Lawrence rides off. He starts singing this song, uh, The Man Who Broke the Bank in Monte Carlo, which he whistled before. We hear this echo. And then as it's echoing through this canyon, you hear the claps. Yeah. <laughs> and there is Colonel Brighton clapping for him. Yes. Yep. Welcoming party. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I, love, I love Peter O'Toole getting embarrassed. <laughs> it's so much fun. And he gives Lawrence a little warning before he meets Faisal, mm-hmm. which is basically shut up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your job is to observe and go away. That's it. And we we already know enough at this point that we're like Nat Lars is a yeah, thing to that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, and we go off to a place called Wali Safra, which is a real place, and we find our first vision of the Arab army and of Alec Guinness, Prince Faisal. Yeah, under attack. Under attack from a biplane. Who th- I love that they throw bombs out of mm-hmm. the biplane. Yeah. And there's just chaos. Yeah. And in the middle of chaos, you have Faisal on his horse trying to get his troops to stand and fight. I don't know exactly know how mm. to be organized to show, but it's all falling apart. Mm. It's not going very well. Well, he's realizing how out of his depth his techniques are uh, in the mod- versus the modern world, mm-hmm. right? And so he, and he's trying to encourage them to fight, not retreat, all these things that a leader should do. And of course, as a leader does, he avoids every bullet or bomb or <laughs> sure. he's walking Good through point. there, which is great. But, like you, but he is uh, doing the best he can with the situation that he's been handed. And by the way, Faisal's actually, he's actually the second son of the king of, uh, that they're following, mm-hmm. Hussein. And, uh, and all of the British army thought the eldest son was the guy we were going to deal with. It's really Lawrence that picked Faisal. He oh, said, wow. no, this is the guy. Yeah. And that, and he's the one who kind of built him up as the leader of the Arab revolt, uh, which is really interesting because mm. Lawrence knew there needed to be a charismatic figure that people would rally around to reunite all these tribes. Yeah. Um, and then what's really brutal is how Brighton relates to Faisal. You were wrong. 
You have to pull back. I told you, you don't understand these weapons. And he really kind of gives him the beat down. Mm-hmm. He's talking down to him. Yeah. And there, there's no respect in the way that he talks to Faisal at yeah, all. Right. Yeah. And so we start our retreat. Uh, we're marching off. And that's where Lawrence meets Davoud and Farouche. Yeah. His two Aww. guides. Bumming off some cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they want to be a servant. And he's just like, no, I can't afford it. But mm-hmm. likes them, obviously. Yeah. And then we end up in Faisal's tent for sort of a meeting, you know. Mm-hmm. It begins with a reading from the Quran, and then uh, this, by the way, was shot on location, which surprised me. Oh, is that I would think like the one thing you don't have to shoot on location is this tent. Go <laughs> shoot it on stage somewhere. But no, they shot this out in the desert in a real tent. Wow. Well, you're there already. It strikes me as a very lean thing to do. Like yeah. it just it, he is so his attention to detail and wanting to be so authentic. It was important to him, and so, you can tell I, in this movie. So. I so think of the phrase "mad dogs and Englishmen" out in the noonday sun, <laughs> in relationship to David Lean. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, "Yeah, let's keep doing it." Yeah. 130 degrees. What's 130 degrees? By the way, I stop. Yeah, anything yeah. over that's just—it's all going to feel the same anyway. Right. It's just damn hot. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if you said go shoot in 110 degrees right now, I'd be like, eh, <laughs> I don't I'm really good. need to. And it's interesting. Right at the beginning, we see. Brighton sitting very uncomfortably mm-hmm. and Lawrence reclining, which is what you're supposed to do on pillows in a tent like that. Yeah. And as we're sitting here reclining in the tent, who should walk into the tent? Uh, yes. But Omar Sharif. Ali. Sheriff Ali. And watch the look on Lawrence's face. It's like, oh crap, this yep. guy again. <laughs> Greetings, Ali. My lord. Sheriff Ali. Lieutenant Lawrence, you have met Sheriff Ali, I think. Yes, my lord. Um, and as the as the older gentleman is quoting from the Quran, Lawrence finishes the quote. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's, I think, the first thing that really catches Faisal's attention. Yep. After we're kind of chatting, Brighton wants to talk business. Yeah. Jumps right to it. And this is one of the things, having talked to um, Hoover, who's worked so much in Afghanistan, is one of the big things that Europeans don't get is you can't. We are just used to, particularly Americans, of like, let's go right to the stuff we have yeah, to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Get it out of the way. And they want to have tea for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's very rude to jump right in and talk business. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how we are used to doing things. And that's what Brighton does. And yeah. it doesn't go well. Mm-mm. This is one of the things he fought with uh, Quayle and Lean. Because uh, Lean wanted him to play Brighton as more intelligent than he plays him. But Quayle knew he was an idiot and wanted to play him as an idiot. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and because he's an amalgamation of all these British officers mm-hmm. that had gone into the Arab world and had arrogantly tried to impose the uh, their way of thinking on the Arab people rather than creating space for understanding the culture. And so that's why he wanted to play Brighton as so pugnacious as he is yeah. through the movie. He's right. Yeah, he was yeah, right. Totally. It yeah. works. And he's pushing them to fall back on Yenbo and get yeah. put under British officers and get British training. Mm-hmm. And you see, you watch Peter O'Toole slowly kind of react to this. And then he starts to say something. Yeah. <laughs> and then he stops himself from saying something, but it's too late. Yeah. And uh, Faisal asks Lawrence what he thinks. What do you think about Yenbo? I think it is far from Damascus. <laughs> now that is a... That is a, a whole other kind of thing he's saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is contradicting his boss right there in the tent sitting next to him. And I love that they go, have you been to Damascus? Yes, it's it's beautiful. Yes, my lord. <laughs> um, and, and Brighton continues to say, no, we, we're British. We know what to do. We mm-hmm. got it going on. And he keeps talking about discipline. That's what we need. Great Britain is great because it has discipline. And they go, no. He's because, yeah. It's because you have a Navy. <laughs> and they could go where you please and fight where you please. Yeah. And Lawrence goes, right. 
Um, I like it too because it does this, this scene establishes Faisal, played by Alec Guinness, as being more savvy mm-hmm. and and so brightens you know spitting the british line he's saying everything that he's supposed to be saying in the moment and he's talking down to the arabs and and faisal's on to him yeah. he's like yeah. you know the, like you know give, give a, we don't need training we need weapons yeah. we need your navy and 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 brighton's like well they have to protect the suez canal and faisal's like i don't care about the suez canal right. you do right. you know so clearly you're just talking about your interests you're not talking about mine yeah. but he's doing it and he's he's playing politics mm-hmm. which we learned that he's actually really damn good at at throughout the film him but and, uh, that's he, why when him and uh, uh bentley is it no no him and uh, uh allenby Alan, Alan, no, no, the, who's Claude Rains' character again? I'm sorry. Dryden. Dryden. Him and Dryden at the end mm-hmm. is because they're the counterpart of each other in the separate worlds. They're playing yeah. a game. Yeah, which is why when they have that conversation ball. at the end, I'm like, it's perfect. It's just yeah. perfect. And we have this idea of the Navy that's you can go where you want, fight where you want. And and now Lawrence is finally going to say what he's really thinks was he tells Brighton, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I think your book is right. The desert is an ocean in which no oar is dipped. And on this ocean, the Bedou go where they please and strike where they please. This is the way the Bedou has always fought. You're famed throughout the world for fighting in this way, and this is the way you should fight now. He is hooked, Faisal. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. With no question about it. And Brighton's response is, do you know you're a traitor? <laughs> which is something that was said about Lawrence a lot. Uh, the yeah. real Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Because... The game that he played, was he working for the British or for the Arabs? Mm. Was he betraying the British or betraying? It was very, very complicated. Mm. And I think, you know, if you read about him, he didn't always know. Yeah. You know, he, he was trying to walk this impossible tightrope throughout his life. And, and, and Brighton's last thing as he's kind of going off in a huff is you're going to lose another 50 men tonight mm. to Faisal. Just again, the insults. Mm-hmm. It's not the way to get what you want about this guy. Right. We, everyone's everyone is heading out and saying goodnight to Faisal, and Lawrence goes to say goodnight to Faisal, and Faisal makes him stay. <laughs> great moment. Alec Guinness is so great. He's fantastic. Oh in this. yeah. Well, and, and he plays politics with uh, Brighton too because he says, "I know you're right, Colonel. I yeah. know you're right." Yeah, and he so, acquiesces. Yeah, acquiesces. He appeases him, but because he knows he has a longer game to play here, he pulls Lawrence out. Colonel Brighton means to put my men under European officers, does he not? In effect, my lord, yes. And I must do it, because the Turks have European guns. But I fear to do it. Upon my soul, I do. This moment of I I fear to do it, and the, the walls of the tent shake. And there's this weird pause, and he says, upon my soul, I do. And maybe that's why you shoot it on location. Mm. It's because the For wind most, is going to yeah. move this tent at some moment, and we don't know when it's going to be, and that's yeah. going to create a moment. Because that moment in the scene is very ethereal and creepy mm-hmm. and powerful, and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and they have this conversation where he's trying to dig into Lawrence and understand what he wants. The English have a great hunger for desolate places. I fear they hunger for Arabia. Then you must deny it to them. You are an Englishman. Are you not loyal to England? To England and to other things. I think you are another of these desert-loving English. You know, and Lawrence kind of, you know, seems attracted to the desert. He says, no Arab loves the desert. (laughs) We love water and green trees. There's nothing in the desert. No man needs nothing. Or is it that you think we are something you can play with? 
because we are a little people, a silly people, greedy, barbarous, and cruel. Because Ollie Bringing has told them. Bringing it back. Them. Yep. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they talk about Cordova, which is when the, mm-hmm. the, the Moors had conquered Spain, and that they had public lighting when London was a village. And Lawrence's response is, you were great. Time to be great again. Um, but what is it? What do they need in order to be great? And I find that... Something no man can provide. A miracle. A miracle. And I, 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 to me, that's a, a touchstone word and, and, um, and, and thought for, for Lawrence, because we're going to, tr- as we go throughout the movie, he starts to see himself as an embodiment of an, a miracle. He sees himself as a prophet. He sees himself as yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. Count how many times the words ordinary and extraordinary happen in this movie. And, and this, to me, is when Faisal says that, you can just see that that's the light bulb in Lawrence's head of... I'm going to be your miracle. Yeah. And then he goes off and he spends the entire night alone in the desert trying to come up with how to be that miracle and how to, 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 um, bring that miracle about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. Cause it is the first time you see Lawrence actually be shaken a little bit. Mm-hmm. He is not a, he actually, he actually has to plumb the depths of his knowledge to figure out where he's, what is going to, what's going to happen, what he's going to do. He does not ready with a quip. He does not have some kind of comment to make here. He actually has to go out there and be alone and figure it out and consider it. And can I do it? And what would it take? And do the all strategic and logic. And it takes time. You can't just come up with it, look at a map. It takes time. And so, yeah, it's great to watch. I think this sequence is treated religiously. Yeah. I think this is Jesus going off in the, this is, this is Buddha going to sit under the tree. This is, this is, this is Moses in the wilderness. This is these, this is the great moment of the prophet going out into, you know, the spiritual landscape. Yeah. And the, the, the wind is blowing and the dust is blowing and he wanders out and he's lost in a trance. Mm. He's so unaware. In fact, that he's not aware that Davud and Farouche are, are watching him from above. Yeah. And they take a rock and they roll the rock down and it slowly tumbles down the sand dune until it hits him in the back. And he doesn't respond at first, mm. which I think is brilliant. And then very slowly, yes, this is a long movie. <laughs> very slowly, he reaches around and picks it up. And then he walks away. And then then we go to him under the tree. And now Farouche and Davoud are they're right next to him. They're staring at him. Mm-hmm. And yet he seems to be lost in his own world. He's sitting trance-like in a fugue, which is something we see of him mm-hmm. multiple times yeah. throughout the film where he just has detached from reality. And he's holding the rock, the rock that literally attacked him from behind, from the direction that he wasn't expecting. And he's holding it and thinking about it. And as he squeezes it with all his strength, with a look of intensity on his face like you've never seen before, one word comes out of his mouth, and that word is Akaba. 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 From the land. That's an amazing sequence. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Amazing. And now he's come back to life. And he go, who does he go to? He goes to Ali. Ali. And he goes, like, this, this is not possible. The Nafud cannot be crossed. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence's response is, I'll cross it if you will. This dude was just learning how to ride the camel a couple of days ago. And he's like, I'll do it if you... Because he knows how to play people. Mm-hmm. That's something we, we saw it with Faisal. Mm-hmm. We saw it with... We see it with Ali. We're going to see her later on with Alda. It's like, he knows, like, oh, he's going to be a little competitive with this guy yeah. to get him to go. Um, we can, and the idea is, if we could take 50 men through the desert and get to this place, that's 50 men that other people would join. And then we can attack, attack Aqaba. And it's like, but what about the huge guns at Aqaba? It's like the guns face the sea yeah. and cannot be turned around. 
That's that's true. Yeah. yeah. It was true of Aqaba. And it's brilliant, right? Because yeah. he had this is these are all the things that he had to ponder and consider, and then it came to him. And right. Well, and and, and part of it is is that Aqaba assumed their big yeah. uh defense was the British Navy. Yeah. That's who we're scared of. And and Ali says it, like nobody can cross the Nafood Desert. I mean, there's a whole section called the Sun's Anvil, which we'll get oh, to, yeah, yeah. but like there's you know, they, even if one of them thought, oh, would anybody attack us from land? Nah, nobody's going to get across that desert. So, right. like, they never thought of it as an actual risk. Well, it's more than that, too, because do the Turks have any respect for the Arab army? No. Nope. No, none. Right. This is a disorganized army. These guys are half the time fighting themselves. They don't have modern weapons. And so we were worried about the British Navy, yeah. which is who they kicked the shit out of at Gallipoli, Gallipoli right yeah. before that. And by the way... One of the things that uh, Lawrence was writing to Winston Churchill about was don't go do Gallipoli. <laughs> oh. uh, and that was mm-hmm. Churchill's big, huge mistake in World War One that got him disgraced and kicked out. I love, know, I love, and I love that they talk about that in Darkest Hour. Oh, they just reference- haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen yeah. it? Oh, you guys see it. They reference it very mm-hmm. power- uh, as a reason for, not, for him not to be in power. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, it was a huge, unbelievable disaster. And a good movie if you haven't seen it, if you're listening. Mel Gibson. Yes. Um, yeah, fantastic movie. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so they, they start loading up some camels. <laughs> no one bothered to tell Faisal that they're going to go do this because Faisal shows up and says, uh, what are you doing here? Um, and, and he goes, well, I'm going to go work your miracle. Blasphemy is a bad beginning for such a journey. Who told you? Ali did. Why not you? And now they just want to know if they can, uh, they can do this miracle ride in Faisal's name. And he mm-hmm. says, well, you can ride in my name, but whose name do you ride in? Very good question. Yeah. <laughs> good question. And it's, the first, and it's like the first hint of questioning his motives. Mm-hmm. Is this about you or is this about the people? Is this really about helping me or about glorifying yourself? Mm-hmm. And these are the things that Absolutely. constantly is uh, Lawrence's struggle with everyone. And in the scene in the tent earlier with Faisal, Faisal asks, asks him, are you loyal to England? And he says, yeah. I'm loyal to England. Pause. And other things. Yeah, yeah. What other things? Like, right. that's, you know, that you're getting, you're starting to realize that there's a lot of gray area for him. Yeah. Well, and throughout this movie, people are going to ask, who are you? Mm-hmm. Constantly. One way or another. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Ollie asks for his name. The, he says, my name is for my friends. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the movie, we have the, all the people talking about, well, who was this Lawrence mm-hmm. guy? Mm-hmm. You know? He sh- the, when they're at the canal, which we'll, we'll get to, and the guy's shouting across, who, who are, are you? Yeah, Literally yeah. shouting the central question to yeah. this movie. Um, and so they're about to write off, and they did tell Faisal about it. You know who they didn't tell? Didn't tell Colonel Brighton. Mm-hmm. That's right, not Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like a second lieutenant like showing up to some... Deep, deep outpost yeah. and then just leaving with some other men <laughs> to go off to fight a battle without telling a CO. <laughs> it's fairly crazy. Well, when you give the background like you give it that he never really was trained as a soldier, it's no. it makes all kinds of sense. Well, and he never ran to listen to what anyone told him of to course do. Not. Like Why whether it was I'm yeah, I can go spend 3 years wandering in the desert by myself. Yeah. Or Why even not? in the movie, the the smallest thing is indicative of that at the very beginning where he wears the his hat in the mess hall. Yes. And yeah. the the officer's like, "Why are you wearing a hat?" And or, or who are you to wear it? And he's like, "It's just what I do." And like that, that it's you, you, as a soldier, it's ingrained in you to not yeah. to, to to follow the rules, follow your orders, and clearly from the get go, we learn that that is not the kind of uh, person that Lawrence is. Mm-hmm. So we're off on the journey, and Lawrence is riding with the, this troop, <laughs> and his excitement, his oh, palatable, childlike joy. He looks around and he kind of sits up tall, and he's like, "I'm really doing it." It's like he's <laughs> living the comic book, you know, in his yeah. mind. Yeah. 
And again, we have that great, great Lawrence of Arabia music. And who is following behind? But Daoud and Farash. Daoud and Farash. We get to an oasis, uh, and uh, Lawrence is relaxing. Omar Sharif is just always cool. Oh, I know. He right? is like just sitting wherever he's sitting. He's just in a pose. Just like you are the coolest. You know, he's he's like Lando Calrissian. Cool. Yes, that is how cool he is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Daoud and uh, Farash they sneak in. I love that they use the camel's legs to sort of camouflage themselves. Yeah. And again, they want to be servants. And this time, Lawrence says, "Okay, you yeah. can be my servants." Um, now we're heading off to the deserts and, and what Ali says is from here, no water, but what we carry camels, no water at all. If the camels die, we die. And in 20 days they start to die. We also get a little bit of something, uh, Steve in the Oasis, uh, with the guy who tells, who negotiates the deal. Gassim. Oh, Gassim. Gassim. When or, we see him, he's like, yeah. this is not, these are not good. Lord. This is good price for you. Lord. Yeah. Like this all, yeah. we see that he's, uh, seems like a very gre- gregarious person. Yeah. yeah. An, really a, important. Guy. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. important. And then. Of course, it's such an interesting little subplot to what oh, happens yeah. to him. Given, yeah, that, I mean, that's fantastic. an entire and right. very important arc yeah, for, yeah. His, for his character and then for what it Lawrence and for Lawrence's, yeah. yeah. Yep. That's what I love, the way he's introduced just really casually here in a great way. Mm-hmm. You can support, immediately you like him, and it's brilliant. Um, I have a, a student at, uh, that's making a student film that takes place in the desert, mm. and when she shot it in the desert, it actually was 118 degrees. Ooh. Um, which is really dangerous. And I'm watching the movie with her uh, last week. And she said, it doesn't feel hot. Why doesn't it feel hot? Because it was hot. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, but you're right. And it's beautiful. She had made a really good film and it's really mm-hmm. well shot. Um, and what I said to her is like, you need to go watch Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai and some other films that make you feel temperature. Yeah. Because what we're about to see now is they're riding off in the desert after they cross the railroad <sighs> yeah. tracks. And it feels hot yeah mm-hmm. it just it, you couldn't and you can see them you know i don't know if you've been like hiking or on a long ride where you get to that quiet rhythmic place where you become hypnotized yep, by the absolutely. movement that's what's happening here yep. mm-hmm. and lawrence is staring down at the ground and trying not to sl- fall asleep yeah. yeah yeah and they're they're kind of smacking people with a little cane to wake them up mm-hmm. and lawrence needs a little smack yeah mm-hmm. Molly. <laughs> and at first he says i was thinking yeah. 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 Sure. You were drifting. Mm-hmm. In the military. Yeah. Uh they really kick the shit out of you and mess with your sleep, right? And time. And then they teach you so many things throughout the day in classes. Ooh. So you'll wake up at 5 a.m. to do PT, get breakfast which you have to run through, then shower, then get out and start learning stuff. And sometimes you're working or learning or training until midnight or 1. So it's a lot, right? So you learn in class to fall asleep without and, and still listening to the professor. Right. And this is what Lawrence is doing in this moment because it is you do you lean back and you're listening and you just keep nodding your head as if you're listening, and then you'll occasionally catch yourself and you smack awake. And if the teacher grabs you, you just go, oh, I was just thinking about what you said. I was just thinking about what you said. And so you play it off the whole time. And you learn these little tricks in the military, and you see this here. This is what he's doing in a way is is letting himself fall asleep because he is tired. But when he smacks him, he's not he's not giving in to the fact that he was asleep. Well, which I th- is an, is a pride thing, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> I love that. But he does admit it. He does then say, "Yes, you're right. I was yeah, drifting. right. But it will not happen again. Right. He like then he's determined. if he makes a mistake once, he's the yeah. kind of person that will never make that same mistake again, yes. or at least Try. hope not to. Try not to. <laughs> we get to we get to the night and he's shaving. 
Yes. So they're like, why <laughs> waste of waste water. water? Which I agree with, by the way. <laughs> yeah, at that point. Um, but he, but Lawrence is very particular yep. about his appearance. You feel like that he's probably somebody that has certain routines or certain things that he needs to, mm-hmm. that are important to him. Yes. In well, order to do. a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to analyze what are the psychological conditions of T.E. Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, manic depressive, obsessive well, compulsive. Sure. Yeah. You know, like these are things where uh, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, going on here. I should say bipolar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Entirely possible. Yeah. Um, and and now we find out like, okay, now we're going to just sleep a little bit when we can, when it's too hot and we're going to ride. And right now we're going to sleep for three hours. And a very perky T.E. Lawrence says, I'll wake you. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't actually happen. Right. <laughs> Lawrence is asleep. They wake him up and we ride some more. And uh, now we have reached, as you mentioned before, the sun's anvil. Do we rest here? There is no rest now short of water or runs. The other side of that. And how much of that is there? I'm not sure. But however much it must be crossed before tomorrow's sun gets up. This is the sun's anvil. A great name. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, it, it's already evoking like pure dread yeah. <laughs> as to what this is going to entail. Um, and they write, I just, just looking at those black rocks, mm-hmm. and there's a dude walking barefoot on the black rocks. And I don't know yeah, how like, hot those are. Yeah. That looks really rough. And we cross it, we see, and we, again, it goes into this sort of misty, mysterious sort of tone as we ride through this. A camel separates. Da- Daoud falls and then gets up and manages to catch up. Um, yeah. And then slowly the sun is rising and we have this moment of excitement. Like, did we, did we do it? Yeah. I think we do it. And, and, and Lawrence's excitement is really palpable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he said we could do this thing and now we've actually done it. We've done it. God willing. And just at the moment where they start to go and then they're saying like, you should thank God because you've tempted him today. Um, and then they see an empty camel. Yep. And that is Gassim. Gassim is we have fallen off. Yep. And 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 th- there's a lot of the way that God is talked about, or would be Allah mm-hmm. in this, is what happened to him. God knows. Mm. You know, and there's this phrase, they don't use this frame, but this is kind of what they're saying. The phrase is inshallah. Yeah. Is the Arabic phrase, which means that only God knows or as God wills or God willing. And it's sort of this, is it written, which is very deeply steeped into, uh, in particular, uh, uh, Arabic culture yeah. is that you can't mess with destiny. And that is this moment that we're at is that, okay, he didn't make it out. That was what God wanted. Right. That's it. Let's move on. And you know who wants to mess with destiny? <laughs> that would be Lawrence yeah. Yeah. or doesn't clearly doesn't believe in it in that as you say, you know, it's written way. Yeah. Hence the line we get in a few minutes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that that's a clear crossroads between the Arabic culture and here comes a man who's like, no, like absolutely not. And so he goes after Gassim, which is just a seemingly suicidal thing to do. Well, yeah. and, and despite the objections of saying like, this will ruin Aqaba. Right. Mm-hmm. Like your whole plan that you put all of us through, all of us followed you on this plan. And, and we you're... actually got to a point where it's doable. We yeah. got through it and now you want And now you're going to go blow it. If you go back, you kill yourself is all. Gassim, you have killed already. Get out of my way. Gassim's time is come, Lawrence. 
It is written. Nothing is written. Go back, then! What did you bring us here for with your blasphemous conceit? Hey, English blasphemer! Akaba! What is it, Akaba? You will not be at Akaba English. Go back, blasphemer! But you will not be at Akaba! I shall be at Akaba. That is written in here. And it's interesting because, like, if you look at our other smart general we haven't met yet, but Allenby, yeah. would Allenby go back for that guy? No. Nope. No. No. And the truth, and I can't really say what I would do in such circumstances because who knows what I would do in such circumstances, but my gut is I wouldn't go back either. Hubris of a young man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also what Faisal says to him, do you write in my name? Right. This is once again a moment for the greater good is to go forward, but... His combination of arrogance and misguided nobility is here. Or, yeah. or misguided is a perspective, subjective term. You can feel it's misguided or not. It's nobility at its core because he's trying to save this guy. And he wants to do this because it's what's right in his mind. Does it jeopardize the mission? Absolutely. But morally in his mind, or nobly in his mind, it's the right thing to do. Well, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many exactly. in that there, moment. There you go. All right. Awesome. But who's the one? Lawrence or Gasset? <laughs> Lawrence or Gasset. Well, but that's good that question, Rachel. That is the key. That's the key question because yep. is he going back for him or is he going back because of some heroic vision of himself that he's trying to maintain? That's yeah. what's tough. That's a good question. I, I, I choose to believe the misguided nobility, but it's certainly possible that he went well, back for and I don't think his own ego. I don't think it's binary. I think. Oh, good point. Oh, yeah. I think that. Sure. I think he does want to save this. Multiple guy's life. things are involved. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, you know, and I, I think he has a lot of stuff going. I mean, this is a complicated guy with a lot going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> but once again, uh, Ali also told me he was crazy. He didn't even try the Akaba. So it's like it's all these things he must overcome these things that people put in his path that say he can't do it. Some people are just driven to prove people wrong, man. And yeah. he, it seems, that's what I love about him in the movie. Love his character. And regardless how it ends up, he is driven to prove people wrong uh, because people doubt him all the time. And that there's something powerful in that, that putting aside all his ego or whatever, there's something I admire about that when I see it in the Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and the part of why people follow him is because he does these ridiculous things. Yeah. If he wasn't, if he was more conservative, he wouldn't have followers in the same way. Yeah. You know, but he does go back. And by the way, T Lawrence really did go back into Mm -hmm. the desert alone to save a single man's life. He didn't tell anybody. No one knew he went back. He saw the camel and he went back alone and everyone was like, where'd he go? Right. So this scene of arguing with Mm -hmm. him, that didn't happen. Right. Uh, But he goes back and there we see Gassim and he's, I love the way he walks mm-hmm. towards the sunrise. It's like trudging, literally just, trudging. He's like just one foot in front of the other, mm-hmm. and um, and the sun is rising. And you know, and they, they do just such a great job of, you know, that he knows that that sun that is rising is his death. Yes, yep. it is really, really clear. And he just trudges is the right word, one step in front of the other. I love the sound mix here, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every step, you're just like, I get it. You're dragging your feet because there's nothing else you can do. Yep. Right. And Daoud is waiting. And now he started to, Gossing has started to strip down. So he mm-hmm. takes off his gun belt. And the, the way that they frame the shot yes. is that every you always see, they keep that in the frame as he walks forward. And it's way back in the background. Um, 
And one thing we should say, I mean, this is like the textbook for cinematography. Oh. And in general, you frame things as a rule of thirds. So you mm-hmm. would, let's say, have two thirds of the landscape and then the horizon and one third of the sky, or you would have two thirds of sky and one third of landscape, mostly through this whole sequence as we're riding across the Nafud and here, he goes almost to like an eighth or a ninth. So it's very little sky at the top and all land or almost, you know, 70, 80% sky and land underneath. It's, it's, and they're just beautifully, beautifully framed shots. Um, And the cinematographer, we should say is Freddie Young. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else we can yes. say. <laughs> Bow down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Lawrence is slowly heading out, goes through a dust storm. Daoud is watching. The sun is rising. It's really hard, particularly this time, they, to shoot the sun. Mm. They burned, They kept burning through the film. They t- oh, wow. wanted it to actually be a shot of the sun, and they just couldn't do it. Yep. It's, it's the one fake and i'm again i'm using quotes a uh, shot in the movie right it's yeah. a it's a as painting it's yeah. a painting wow um just the single shot of the sun in the sky and is, right. is a, and then that and it's a huge huge sun in the fight, mm-hmm. sky and gossam falls mm-hmm. we're out at the well people are drinking the camels are drinking farash is waiting and watching daoud is waiting he looks off into the distance and we hear i love this use of the theme we hear a very very distant lawrence of arabia theme yes and he's looking and we see what he sees and he forces us to look like because and I think particularly because we had the Mirage shot with Ali. Now before. we're trained to be like, is there something <laughs> in the background? And, and it's funny too. This is one of those funny moments where look, we know the movie's three hours and forty two yeah, yeah, minutes yeah. long. We know he's not dead. Yeah. And yet you are still going, Oh my god, can I see him? Yeah, there. <laughs> is he there? And 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 now Davoud starts to move a little uh, faster off in that direction. We have the POV shot of it moving faster. The theme is rising. Dawood is running. And there's Lawrence with Gossim on the camera. And it is an unbelievable film moment. It's edited and shot in such a way, and you are so tense, like you said. I mean, you know Lawrence is, is going to survive it, but will Kasim and yeah. and and then there's just this like moment of like complete and emotional catharsis, like they Absolutely. made it, and it's yeah. just like oh my how, <laughs> and you just get I got so wrapped up in that scene every time because every of time, yeah. all the all the moving pieces and the filmmaking pieces just came together so perfectly. Yeah, um, we're back at the wells, and Farouk is still looking out into the distance, and Ollie is waiting, and. And Farouche sees them. I love that he tumbles down the hill. Yeah. It's just so great. So excited. Um, Ali grabs a, a, a water bottle. Everyone runs to Lawrence, offers him water. He refuses. He won't take the water until finally he takes it from Ollie. And the delay, the, the, the demonstration of his strength and mm-hmm. will to not just grab that water mm-hmm. is so tremendous. And he looks him in the eye and he finally says in this croak hoarse voice... Nothing is written. That's and he converts Ali. And oh yeah, that, and that is clearly the mm-hmm. moment yeah. where, yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a heroic. Mm-hmm. He, you said a he, a prophet. Yes, like, this is a religious figure that he has yeah. created for himself. Yeah. Um, and everyone calls him Orance. Oh. Orance. Orance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I love the moment where I, I, 
I love the mix. It's funny that you just made a Wrath of Khan reference <laughs> because because I always think of the moment with him trying to very uh, calmly take off his clothes, very much with Spock straightening his shirt oh, as yeah, he stands yeah. up at the end of Khan. Yeah. It's like he's a human. He's completely wrecked, and yeah. yet he's still trying to maintain his dignity on some yeah. level before he just collapses onto the bed. Yeah. Um, and then we get this great conversation in the middle of the night between Ollie and Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And it is master class between the two of them. Oh, and, yeah. and you learn so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And the scene is about this name, El Lawrence versus Lawrence. And at first he's going, you know, that's not my name. Not El Lawrence. Just Lawrence. El Lawrence is better. True. Your father to just Mr. Lawrence. My father. Is Sir Thomas Chapman. Is that a lord? A kind of lord. Then when he dies, you too will be a lord. And Ollie's trying to be nice. Yeah. He's trying he's trying to understand. And like it's it's clearly um well, he's like, to we like, get it. Like as soon as he says that, we're like, oh, he's yeah. not legitimate. And, well he's trying to get he's trying to uh create commonality between yeah. them sure. at rank. Mm -hmm. At rank, at yeah. status, at social mm -hmm. status, family status, just because Arab English tribe is tribe. Yeah. And there are statuses uh, amongst them, yeah. And then we find he kind of says, no, I, I'm not going to be Lord because my father didn't marry my mother. Mm. And there's a kind of a knowing look from mm. Ollie. And, and, and Lawrence apologizes, you know. Mm. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Because he feels he's disappointed him, you yeah. know, because he's admitted to his bastardy, mm -hmm. you know. And Ollie's response is so kind and compassionate. And he says, it seems to me that you are free to choose your own name, then. Yes. I suppose I am. But Lawrence is best. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing. And uh, this idea, because that's what we're really saying is, oh, you get to choose your own identity, yeah. who yeah. you are. Right. We're back to who are you. Yeah. Yep. And here is a way in which you can lay claim to that, and that is to name yourself. And yeah. based on this, you know, absolutely mythic accomplishment in Ali's saying, well, a Laurence is more indicative of the thing that you just did and the, and the person that you are, and it doesn't matter who your yeah. parents are. All right. I'll settle for a Laurence. Settle for is a very British <laughs> downplay. Yeah. And then he turns away. And I think he is as deeply moved at this moment. Uh -huh. I think he's, he's going to cry, and he can't because this is an act of such love and brotherliness and compassion and seeing him as he wants to be seen that he can't face it. Which he is getting from an Arab and not another British person. Right. This this is, you know, a true, like we're, we've just been trying to establish like on, on a, are we on a level playing field in terms of rank? Mm -hmm. No, we're just on a level playing field in terms of being human. Yeah. And that, that relationship is solidified in that moment in that way. So, so there's a thing I wanted to, uh, you know, I kind of look through Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and and I don't know how many people have read this book. It's not an easy book. No, it, it's 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 hard to read. It's it's written by a guy who's very poetic. He has a very poetic style of writing. It has tons of names of Arab places and events and people, and it's can be very confusing. It's very dense, and it's also written by a guy who is at once totally exposing himself and at once completely manufacturing an image. Mm. It's really hard to kind of figure out what the truth is, but there's some beautiful passages passages. And there's one, this is fairly long, but I want to read it anyway, that related to this moment so much, but he's talking about 
that people kept calling him modest. And he's like, no, I'm not modest. And this is what he wrote. Um, it irritated me, this silly confusion of shyness, which is conduct, with modesty, which is a point of view. I was not modest, but ashamed of my awkwardness, of my physical envelope, and of my solitary unlikeness, which made me no companion, but an acquaintance. Complete, angular, uncomfortable as a crystal. With men, I had a sense of always being out of depth, as my war was always overthought, because I was not a soldier. My actions were always overwrought, because I was not a man of action. They were intensely conscious efforts, with my detached self always watching the performance from the wings in criticism. That's a lot of deep stuff. Yeah. It is. I mean, really interesting distinctions in terms of being naturally an introverted person myself. Like, you get the the idea of what it means to feel awkward, and I like his distinction with modesty and shyness. Like, that, to me, makes sense yeah. um, and put in a very... And so uncomfortable in his own skin yeah. as a crystal like that, like yeah. the, the, and that, and it's interesting so too, but it's also what's interesting within this is, and, and, and definitely the, you know, watching the performance from the wings and criticism. I definitely, that's oh. me a lot of the time mm. of just like observing my behavior mm-hmm. and not oh. being in the moment, but observing the moment yeah. and critical of my own behavior in the moment. Yeah. No. yeah. That's, that's the introvert stuff. I know. I want um, you both. <laughs> yeah, John um, doesn't understand. Um, but the but the but the other so, thing but, yeah, that ahead. I find fascinating this is that he says my actions were always o- overwrought because I was not a man of action. Mm-hmm. And throughout the book, he says this all the time. He's not a man of action, and it's like, dude, all you did mm-hmm. was action. Like you were the most action man, and he was doing it to overcome what he thought was his negative he thought of himself as a weak man mm-hmm. and that's why he had to do all these ridiculous things to prove his strength mm-hmm. like the contradictions constantly mm-hmm. you know and he thought he was he was a coward and that's why he had to do these ridiculous acts of bravery there's a lot of stuff with this guy you just that phrase alone just that what you just read uh is a psychologist a psychologist wet dream i imagine because there's so <laughs> yeah. much there oh, to yeah. play with and dissect and disseminate and pull out and use um i imagine teddy is the same way roosevelt was the same way from what mm. i've read this idea because of the struggles he had growing up, the idea to constantly do more, definitely push more, that area, area ask yeah. for more, yeah, go get more. Because he was also painfully shy, painfully, and this became one of the most vocal presidents we've yeah. ever had. He was incredibly shy growing up, painfully, painfully so, and uncomfortable in his own skin. Well, yeah. these people that do the amazing, the remarkable, yes, they're not normal people. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, he is an extraordinary person in all sorts of good ways and bad ways, yeah. you know? Um, so is the outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait to read Seven Pillars of the Outlaw. Seven Pillars of the Outlaw. Oh my God. You want to talk about a dense, confusing book? <laughs> and so, as we consider the future autobiography of the outlaw, we will leave Thomas Edward Lawrence, or El Orance, along with Sheriff Ali and the rest of the Arab Revolt closer than they've ever been to what a few days ago seemed like an impossible dream the Turkish stronghold at Aqaba. As always, you can reach us with your comments at our Facebook page. You can subscribe to us on all the usual places, including iTunes and YouTube. Please leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to support The Cinephiles, you can do so on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at srmorris. You can reach John on Twitter and on Instagram at the Roca says, and you can reach our special guest, Rachel Cushing, at Rachel J. Cushing on Twitter. So... 
That is it for this week. We will be back to finish Act One of Lawrence of Arabia next week on The Cinephiles. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.